college can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in everybody to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented as always by Mile High Huddle 24-7 Sports. I'm your host Chad Jensen. With me is my co-host, my partner in crime. He's your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, should we just bite the bullet, just go ahead and vault Chad Kelly into the ring of fame already? <laughs> yeah, he can join his rightful place next to Kyle Sloter in there. So, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, looks like Kyle got the last laugh. We're going to get to that sure here did. in just a little bit. Yeah, I don't. I still don't understand why I let him go, but we're going to definitely touch on that. A lot to talk about tonight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just a couple of points of business real quick before we dive into the Broncos stuff. You got to follow the show on social media. On Twitter, it's HuddleUpPod, at HuddleUpPod. On Facebook, you guys, we've got two Facebook pages, Denver Broncos on 24-7 Sports, the same old Mile High Huddle Facebook page. Also, if you haven't done this, take some time, leave a creative review, uh, as far as this show goes, wherever you're listening, I don't care if it's iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, YouTube, Google Play, Spreaker, wherever you're listening to the show, take some time, leave us a creative review. Hopefully it's positive, but if it's not, that's okay. We're, we're, uh, we can take it. We want to know what you think about the show. We love the engagement and the feedback. So it also helps us out tremendously in terms of growing the show, reaching new uh, listeners, especially on uh, platforms like iTunes. So help us out there. And we also got to say thank you. To our sponsor of tonight's show, Audible. You guys get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Over 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether you're on iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, audibletrial.com slash huddle up. It's great for those who really enjoy reading, but don't always have the time to sit down and turn the pages on the books that you want to read because you can get them under your, uh, under your belt, though, these books, while you're doing other things. Multitask, right? commutes, the gym, the kitchen, whatever you're doing, you can listen to these great books uh, while you're doing other things. So we say thank you to Audible for sponsoring tonight's show. Go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up. All right, so the Denver Broncos took the field Saturday night at the newly minted Broncos Stadium at Mile High. The preseason opener falling to the Minnesota Vikings ultimately 42-28. to Now the first half of this game, extremely difficult to watch in a lot of ways. I mean, I loved it because I just I like watching individual players uh, more than really following the ball, especially during the preseason. During the regular season, you kind of follow the ball and then you take time maybe after afterwards to go study film or whatever. But during the preseason, I just pick a player, I follow him, and, and it, it's a little bit more interesting that way. But it was rough going early on especially. And the first teamer, Zach, I mean, they did little to assuage the concerns in Broncos country that Vance Joseph is – in fact, a lame duck, and that 2018 is just going to be more the same from this team. And while I won't go so far as to say the Broncos looked unprepared, the first teamers, because we got to remember they didn't game plan for this, I will say that the Broncos didn't quite look ready for that that real game intensity, you know, like where it just goes up a couple notches. It didn't feel like the Broncos were uh, maybe quite ready for that or anticipated that. I don't know. But the Vikings were blowing the Broncos off the ball on both sides of the ball and Case Keenum's unit uh, in his debut was marred by a false start on Jared Veldeer and then a miscue later on by the veteran Emmanuel Sanders who kind of seemed to be on the wrong page with Keenum play-wise. Thought maybe it was a run. It was a pass. And then you look at Keenum's box score. Of course, two possessions. Threw the ball four times. Completed one to Demarius Thomas. And then the Broncos offense went three and out 
both times before they were yanked by the coaches. So we're going to get to the defense next. We'll talk about them uh, on their own. But what were your immediate takeaways, Zach, from the starting offense on Saturday night? I watched the first drive. They went three and out, and it was ruined by a penalty. I felt right at home, midseason form. <laughs> um, you won't go so far as to say that they looked unprepared, but I will, and that falls on Vance Joseph, who didn't have his team ready for a preseason game. I put it on Twitter that the last time he coached a game, the Senior Bowl, they were blown out, and they fell behind 14 <laughs> nothing uh, last night. It, it always stems from the coach. It, you know, the the crap rolls from the top to the bottom. So it, it, it really is a reflection of him, and he preached that in training camp. He wanted his players to start practicing faster and have showing more intensity they just don't buy in and it's it's preseason i know that you know i'm not i want to overreact to that but they were not ready to play in that game and uh the offense i wasn't expecting them to look like the 2000 rams just yet keenum and a lot of new moving parts there but you wanted more than two three and outs and and a couple yards on offense Uh, no running game no creative passing the offense was probably vanilla by design You don't want to show your hand in the preseason, but it was definitely not encouraging considering the way they talked up Case Keenum. They talked up these wide receivers, these running backs, this new look offensive line. Um, I'm willing to give the offense a pass, but I'm not going to give the coaching a pass because now in his second year, he's showing the same negative traits as you saw last year. And it all comes down to coaching in the NFL. I've said it multiple times on this podcast, and it's true. Uh, It's a reflection of Vance Joseph, so it's not a good start for his second season. They definitely came out flat. Just from an energy level, the Vikings were – they just out-physicaled them. They were the more intense team. And I'll agree with you that that, you can lay that at the feet of the coaching staff and most specifically Vance Joseph. So you got to believe that within the context of it being the preseason, you know, the the front office isn't overreacting exactly, but I would be shocked – if some during one of these conversations from from on high something to the effect of we got to start better you know we got to have more intensity we got to have more energy that wasn't a great start Vance you know something like that has has been communicated to him because they just got to bring it more it was it was discouraging and I don't think it was necessarily the right decision I know it's preseason I mean it's an exhibition game right like you don't want to risk your your star players and your your starters uh, unnecessarily, but there's also a little bit more to it uh, as far as as chemistry, as far as some of the psychology that goes into these players. And Case Keenum, I mean, this is a big opportunity for him being the guy, unquestioned starter, gets paid, and his debut he goes three and out twice. And I understand <laughs> how the, the the coaches they want to pump the brakes, they don't want to risk him unnecessarily, but I think because of how badly the first two series went, they should have given him one more to come back and try and find a groove just so that he felt uh, a little bit of confidence. Not that he necessarily needs that because we understand, you know, he's in his sixth year and all we get that. He's, he's been down the road a few times. But I think considering that this is very much a new situation, Zach, it would have been good to allow Keenum and the first team to come back out one more time. And if they go three and out, all right, pull the plug. We gave you three chances. I 1000% agree with you. And he gave a sideline interview yesterday with Nine News, and he was a little peeved about that. Yeah, he was a little bit, and I don't blame him. Why not give him a third series? And in his his post-game presser, um, he said he always wants to play, but he respects coaches' decisions. So there might be a little disconnect brewing there. I don't want to, you know, become the National Enquirer of Broncos news, (laughs) but I'm not going to start any rumors. I just think he wanted to get out there, and I don't blame him. Also, to that point about chemistry, why hold out Ronald Leary? Why not get that starting five gelled together? You know, he was had a little knee soreness, yeah, but give him a series just to get that starting five together and let them bond. That's the most important thing you can do with so many new moving parts with Garrett Bowles on the left side and Valdir on the right side. Um, I was a little surprised at that. Yeah. And they kept out a couple of players on defense, too. So, yeah, chemistry, it was not uh, a very well-oiled machine last night, and you just wanted to see more. Right, and, you know, hopefully they'll get a little bit more of an opportunity to – you know, lay, lay some roots down in the second game. But really, we probably shouldn't expect to see a whole heck of a lot from Case Keenum in terms of snaps until the third game, which is traditionally, anyway, the dress rehearsal where the offense, uh, the starters, I should say, usually start and go through the first half and the opening series of the third quarter. So we might have to wait that long to really try, kind of get a beat on Case Keenum. But who knows, maybe this coming week against the Chicago Bears we'll get a little bit more uh, of a taste for what he can do. But we look at the defense. You mentioned it. No Von Miller. 
Uh, we have we saw Bradley Chubb. That was his debut as a Bronco. And there was a couple plays that I really liked, including one of him on the goal line helping make a run stop. But he also looked a little bit lost. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the Vikings right out of the gates gashed the Broncos um, on the ground. One of those plays was at the expense of Bradley Chubb. And so, you know, you expect that from a, a rookie. I don't care if you're Von Miller in 2011 or Bradley Chubb. It's going to take you a little time to get up to speed. And then you look at Bradley Roby. I wasn't too uh, <clears throat> too excited by the fact that he got beaten by Diggs and Cousins on that one route, that uh, deeper route down the right. Just a great catch, though. Yeah. Great throw. It was. And it's one of those things where it's like, look – how do you stop that? It was just right. such a perfect throw, and he and Diggs threw out his arms just right at, on, at perfect time to just snatch and pluck the ball out of the air. But Roby got beat there, not a, an auspicious start. And then, you know, the, the first teamers with a little sprinkling, peppering in of second teamers basically allowed two touchdowns. So we're going to dive more, obviously, into the topic of how serious was last night's lack of execution in the grand scheme of things. We'll, we'll get to that later in the show. But it was certainly talk about discouraging with the, with the offense. I don't think it was any more encouraging for the Broncos defense that let me harp on Vance for just one more second here. He said a couple days ago that Vaughn would play in this game and he's healthy and ready to go. And then Vaughn was warming up and then he was informed that he wasn't playing. I don't understand that how that happens. Uh, but Bradley Chubb did not have the best debut. Uh, he failed to set the edge a few times, and he was kind of uh, blown off the ball in the running game. It's to be expected. He's more of a pass rusher than an overall outside linebacker. Keep in mind, he's converting to OLB from defensive end in college. Big transition. Uh, hopefully, Demarcus Ware can give him a few pointers there. I was also not impressed with Shane Ray um, in run run support either. He kind of got washed out of the play. Yeah. Um, that's kind of been his his strength, his, his run support. So I was a little surprised about that. Um, and Brandon Marshall missed a tackle. I was really surprised the Broncos' run defense was so leaky. Mm-hmm. They were fourth in the NFL last year. How did they – they just went right down the field Minnesota with no Dalvin Cook in the game. Yeah. Um, the secondary, they didn't have uh, Sua Cravens. They didn't have Tremaine Brock. They were down a couple players there, so I'm going to give him a pass. Yeah. Roby, yeah, he was picked on a little bit, but Isaac Yadam, that was the more glaring um, uh, deficiency because he was picked on relentlessly. And he is a rookie, but why would you put a rookie on the Vikings' best receiver, Stephon Diggs, one-on-one with no help? Again, it's coaching. Uh, so I was not pleased about the no flies. I was not pleased about the ground control run defense. It wasn't the greatest audition for this, you know, this, this still vaunted Denver defense, but – Oh, yeah, execution, 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 coaching, 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 scheme, scheme, scheme. It just feels like the Broncos on a coaching level should have, considering what kind of a season they're coming off of, taken this first preseason game maybe a little bit more seriously. Agree. You know, it kind of just feels like, this is just me talking here, but it kind of feels like more of the message that was being handed down during team meetings leading up to this game this past week was more a, hey, guys, let's just remember this is the preseason. That was kind of the message to the veterans. And then kind of mixed in with that on the back end is, and for you young guys, let's not forget this is a big opportunity. This is your chance to, you know, stake your claim, build your NFL resume. So it's kind of a mixed signal what you're sending to the team overall. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know that. That's just kind of the feeling, reading between the lines, seeing how this team performed. But before we get to uh, the second team, we got to talk about at least one of the bright spots from Saturday <laughs> night, and that's special teams because Tom McMahon, I mean, if the early returns are any indication, was just what the doctor ordered in Denver because you got Marquette King. I mean, that was just a great free agent signing. The Broncos capitalized on the opportunity there, but he was booming punts. We saw Isaiah McKenzie finally flash with finally. a 78-yard punt return. You know, and he handled multiple punts, did not put the ball on the ground. And you got to love, Zach, that when he actually had the opportunity and some space to return, we got to see some of that wiggle, that phenomenal burst, the speed. So super encouraging from the third phase, Zach, from McKenzie and everybody else. But I, I just think, too, man, if you think about McKenzie, that was from just the depths that he's had to overcome psychologically from last year. That was a badly needed ego boost. I just hope it doesn't go to his head because he was kind of a little over cocky last year, and I hope this doesn't you know, bring him back up to that same level where he's not really taking his situation as seriously as he might need to. 
give Tom McMahon a 10-year extension right this second. I mean, McKenzie couldn't even hold on to the ball last year, literally couldn't hold on to the ball. And in his first game with this new coordinator, he runs a, a long punt return back for a touchdown. And I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the kid. It, it was a mental failure last year. He has all the physical talent, but the coaching staff put him in a position over and over and over when you can tell he was mentally struggling there. So I was happy to see McKenzie. And what we saw last night was what he brings to the table. That's what he did in Georgia. That's why he was a fifth-round draft pick. It's what the Broncos envisioned as sort of a a, a poor man's version of Tyreek Hill or Dante Hall, mm-hmm. that super explosive, super athletic, super quick punt returner. And uh, he made a nice move there. But he gave a lot of credit to Tom McMahon for it, you know, changing his game and changing his style and, and helping him. And that's what a veteran coordinator does. Yep. And that's what they missed last year with Brock Olivo, a rookie coordinator. I, I hated that hire from day one. And I love the McMahon hire from day one. So it's already paying good dividends. And the, and Marquette King, like you said, uh, already has better hang time, better distance, better overall net average than uh, Raleigh Dixon. So that was a nice pickup for them. This specials, if they can just improve slightly or even you know moderately from, from last season, which is not saying much, it's going to give the entire team a boost. And from what we see last night and what we saw, um, they're definitely off to a good start. Coaching can have such a huge impact on individual players. I mean, it's when when you talk about coaching as it relates to Isaiah McKenzie, for example, it's not only technique in terms of here's how you should be catching the ball, here's how you should be uh, tracking the ball in the air, here's what your first um, you know thought should be once you secure the ball, like all that stuff is coaching, but then also cultivating the right mindset in your in your pupils, if you will, in terms of knowing what a guy like McKenzie, who's super talented, but kind of you know the ego was down you had to wonder what he what what he possessed between the years decision making and all that and then building a person back up like that from 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 the ground so to speak is is a tall task and so the early returns are great we got to see Isaiah McKenzie string a few preseason games together that are like that Not, you know he doesn't have to return a 78 yard punt in every game but just continue to sh- uh, secure the ball continue to make good decisions if you do return it and, and all that. So definitely encouraging. And Marquette King, what are you going to say? I mean, the dude is just, his leg is tremendous. So let me just say one more yeah. thing about the specials. Uh, I noticed also, I don't know if you did, but the uh, the pun coverage was night and day from last season. Mm. They were flying down the field, making open field tackles. Uh, so McMahon, I'm very impressed with him. I just wanted to add that point. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing is like you said, that the, the team, the special teams doesn't have to be take a massive leap forward in order for this team to really improve overall. But but fans realized last season how quickly a season can go just down the tubes when the third phase is not working in harmony with the other two. And especially what really put the Broncos behind the eight ball last year were all the turnovers on special teams. And you mm-hmm. can lay a lot of that at McKenzie's feet, but Overall, it was just a slop fest. They always <laughs> lost. They tr- consistently, I should say, lost the the field position battle. And you stack that on top of turnovers. It's just a bad recipe. Yeah, I was. I gave Joseph a lot of credit for hiring McMahon, and I give him more now. Uh, they just needed a veteran coordinator at that spot, and they couldn't have got a better guy coming over from the Colts. Absolutely. Now, when the second team took the field, you know, we were we were all wondering how Paxton Lynch was going to respond to. His third season, you know, he'd been inconsistent in camp. We've been talking about it the last few weeks. He'd shown some flashes, but you had to wonder if in the game he was going to be able to turn it on. Unfortunately, he was absolutely abysmal. He looked <laughs> completely inept. It's, it's, he was missing open receivers. He was holding on to the ball too long. His stat line when he walked off the field, he went 6 for 11. He had 24 yards passing. And he threw that pick. Now, I will say that pick wasn't entirely his fault, but partly it was because even though he was under pressure, he threw that ball with a lot of mustard on it into a really crowded situation. And Austin Trailer, he should have caught it, but it was a questionable decision on the part of Paxton Lynch. But then you go beyond Lynch, you got Royce Freeman, looked like a boss, broke the ice for the Broncos from 23 yards out, just rumbling. Uh, breaking tackles, run between the tackles, and then he bounces it outside. So you got to be excited about Royce Freeman. And then another guy I'll say in the second team that I that really stood out to me, especially on my second viewing, I was watching the tape, was the sixth round rookie Sam Jones, who was playing center 
for the second mm. team. So listed as the number two center on the depth chart uh, behind Matt Paradis. Of course, he's going to be the center in the game. He played really well. There was a couple plays in particular that I know he wanted back, uh, including one in which he got blown up by the nose tackle on a third and short. However, where where D'Angelo Henderson came up about six inches short from, from uh, the first down, if you guys remember that. But other than that, this guy was physical, nasty. He was getting to the second level and run blocking. He was finishing his blocks. And there was also a couple times where he really impressed me picking up the blitz. So just off that first game and reading between the lines on some of the things the coaches have said, I have a hard time seeing Sam Jones not make the 53-man roster. So just getting back to the overall second team, though, Zach, I, you know, you, you don't want to go too far out on a limb, but I would say that Lynch's performance, it's getting to the point where it's, it's, a, it's an embarrassment to the franchise. Okay, and you you talked about, you know, when we made the joke at the beginning of the show and we need to put Chad Kelly in the ring of fame and you said right next to Kyle Sloter, you think about how Paxton Lynch, his his influence has trickled down overall on the quarterback situation in Denver. John Elway lets uh, first of all. Trevor Simeon is allowed to win the job because of Lynch's ineptitude. Then he lets a guy like Kyle Sloter walk. I mean, so many things, the way it's trickled downhill, have impacted this franchise at the quarterback level so negatively, and you can lay that at the feet of Paxton Lynch. But at this point, John Elway's got to be furious. He's got to take some accountability for this situation. How can this front office, Zach, be under any further illusions? It's time to make a change, I think. It's his ego. It's the only thing. And I've said it multiple times. If Lynch was a fifth round pick, he would not be on the team. He's, he is inept and he is completely lost. And to that point about the interception, uh, Vance rode Chad Kelly for that turnover. And he didn't say anything about Lynch's pick. And he did throw that ball too hard at trailer. So it was kind of at his feet. I'm not a Lynch supporter. I don't, I don't hide my bias in that sense. But he just not showing any progression whatsoever. Yeah. He doesn't have any, any mental awareness uh, any grasp of the rush in the pocket. He can't go through his progressions. He just stands there like a deer in the headlights. And it, it falls at Elway's feet. And keep in mind that Elway let Sloter go to sign Brock Osweiler. Mm. So his quarterback decisions have not been great. And it's time he starts feeling some heat because he did trade up for him as a first-round pick. And he, they have stood by him. But they've tilted this whole competition in Lynch's favor. And Lynch still can't do anything. Yep. He's he's getting uh, getting shown up again for the third year in a row by a seventh round pick, and this seventh round pick was the last pick in the draft. Yeah. So it's not getting better; it's only getting worse. And if a first round pick in his third season, which is a make or break season usually for quarterbacks, if he can't come in the game in the second third quarter of a preseason game, and move the ball, yep, that's, that's really troubling. It is. It is. And like you said. It's one thing to not have shown really any progress. It's another thing to actually show regression in your third year. I mean, at least we can say when he was a rookie in the preseason, he had that. There was at least an air of confidence about him as he approached the preseason, hitting the field. You know, the the confidence of saying, look, I'm a first-round pick. I belong here. He doesn't have that anymore. Like, he's a deer in the headlights. And then we'll talk about Chad Kelly's going to get his own time here in the sun in just a few minutes. But... Once Chad Kelly hit the field and immediately drives the team down scores, anytime it showed Paxton Lynch on the sideline, you could see him. The wheels turning in his mind. Just he he can see the writing on the wall. I mean, this is it's it's especially when you put his performance in contrast to Chad Kelly's. I mean, it 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 really it just isn't good. And it's to a point where what is he doing? I know you can have 90 guys on the roster at this point, but each guy on the roster should be serving some kind of purpose to the overall big picture or at least the long-term picture. At this point, there can be no further illusion, Zach. I mean, this guy is a complete and utter bust, a <laughs> bust. And in April, you know what? He might have had a little bit of, uh, you know, this past spring, he might have had a little bit of trade value. I would be shocked if there's any team in the NFL right now, including the Dallas Cowboys, who would be willing to give up anything in order to acquire Paxton Lynch. Why would you? He's a lemon. He's shown absolutely nothing. And he's done mentally. He's checked out. And you saw him crying on the bench last year in Oakland. He never had that that moxie, that alpha mentality, like you like to say, like Chad Kelly has. Mm-hmm. And that's why the offense rallies around him when he comes in the game. Paxton shows nothing, and his teammates feed off his energy. And it's just it's non-existent. He's just done mentally. 
You need to change the scenery. It's not going to happen in Denver. Elway has to swallow his pride, bite the bullet, and move on already. Yep. And look, the the bright side for John Elway is, look, it's not all bad. I mean, one of the quarterbacks you've drafted in recent years has some potential, and we're going to get to him here in just a few minutes. But, yeah, it just it's time. It's time. I mean, you don't want to go too overboard on an opening preseason game, but it was just that bad from Paxton Lynch. So we move to uh, the second team defense, who I think fared a little bit better than the ones, mm-hmm. but not by a whole heck of a lot because you saw them give up their fair share of big plays and points as well. But a couple, a few guys that stood out to me, Will Parks, I thought played extremely well. Uh, Marcus Rush, number 49, outside linebacker who is currently ahead of Jeff Holland. Yes, excellent game. Josie Jules, Zaire Anderson, we're going to talk about them a little bit more specifically in the mailbag. We received some questions there, but I thought they both were standouts. Jamal Carter, before he got hurt, uh, was playing very well. Kyle Pecco at the point of attack, doing great work. And then, of course, Zach Kerr. Now, Zach Kerr, you know, you expect him to play well against twos and threes because he's a veteran, he's an experienced starter in this league. So, But hats off to those guys. As you mentioned earlier, though, Isaac Yadam, he saw a lot of snaps with the first team in those first couple series and then stayed on the field. He was really just dealt a tough hand from a matchup perspective. Again, I don't think the coaches were spending a whole heck of a lot of time because of the lack of game plan, the nature of that, uh, really choosing who's matching up with who. They're just kind of playing vanilla defense. Whoever lines up in your zone, that's who you're taking, whether you're actually in zone or if you're in man. So Isaac Yadam, one thing that Coach Joseph said after the game was that, look, yeah, we would have liked him to have made a few more plays, but his coverage was actually good. He was in position. He just didn't finish. And I'll agree with him on that. I think that he was at least there. He wasn't getting burned badly in coverage by any stretch of the imagination. It's just a split-second reaction time that he needs to improve on, and that'll come with these live bullets and going against outside competition. But certainly a trial by fire for the rookie third-rounder. Zach Brennan Langley, to me, looks lost still. Always late to react, always slow to the ball. I don't know. I don't know. I know the Broncos were high on his his, uh, athleticism and his raw potential, but I'm not seeing it there. Um, I never liked the pick. Yeah, it was just questionable. If you're going to draft that guy, it should have been in the late rounds. It was definitely a reach in the third round. I've been saying that since he was drafted. Never liked that pick. Mm -hmm. But uh, last thing here I'll say, and I'll serve this over to you, is you know, aside from giving up that 85-yard screen to uh, Rock Thomas, I thought the second-team defense mostly held their own against Trevor Simeon. It's, It's not that they're that great of a unit. You know, they're number two. But there were some strong individual performance, I think, anyway, to take away from the two, Zach, that is encouraging. We can talk more about that. I was actually really impressed with the second string. I know, like you said, they're not going up against world beaters, but Simeon is a veteran quarterback, and he knows how to at least move the ball against second string defenses. And uh, a lot of the players you mentioned uh, were also standouts in my mind. I want to add a few more players, yeah. and that is uh, Shelby Harris, defensive, mm-hmm. I guess defensive tackle now, defensive end. Yep. He had a couple nice run plays, and uh, he's going to be another good player for them. Oh, yeah. And I saw that he might get an extension. It was put out there on Twitter today, so they should look to lock him up. Yep. And also, um, Jeff Holland, the outside linebacker, undrafted free agent. He had a couple pressures. Yep. And this this linebacking core, inside and outside, is stacked with veterans and young players. Uh, up and down the depth chart, they just have depth, and, and they have um, pass rushers and, and pass you know coverage specialists and, and run stuffers. I'm very impressed with the linebackers. Uh, Jewel had a nice game. Rush was one of the best players in the field to me yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot I of agree. nice pressers. I hope they can find a place for him. Uh, Jamal Carter, like you said, he has that hamstring now. I hope that doesn't affect his roster status. But I was really, really impressed with the second string, and I saw a lot of positives they can bring out of that. They were definitely better uh, than their offensive counterparts in the second team. So it's a lot of positives to bring out of that, and I was impressed. We did receive uh, a little bit of news from from some sources about uh, how Denver views the off-ball linebacker position right now coming out of that first preseason game. So. I'll just say real quick for uh, the VIP subscribers, go to the MHH Insiders Forum and you can see a little bit more of what we're talking about there. And if you're not a VIP subscriber, you guys, come on. What are you waiting for? But yeah, I mean, overall, it was, there were some some really strong individual performances, but that Marcus Rush, I'll be honest, that was the first time I really have have evaluated him in a live game scenario. And he was, I loved his energy. He's got a great motor. I loved uh, his ability to to put some, bring some, some, you know, he's not the most explosive, quick twitch guy, obviously, but he brought some heat off the edge. Yeah, and and it was pretty consistent. So 
got to be excited about that. And Josie Jewell, again, we'll get more into him in a little bit, but you know, you saw a lot of the same traits and ability that made him such a special player in college. And with Todd Davis out, it gave the inside linebackers a good audition. And Jewell and Zaire Anderson both, they were two of the best players in the game. So when they develop them and they get a little more tread you know, on their tires, they're going to yep. be really good players, especially Jewell, who I'm very high on. Absolutely. Now, mercifully, Chad Kelly finally entered the game with about six minutes left to go in the third quarter. And we've chronicled how bad the offense had been for the Broncos up to that point. Starters, you had two, three and outs, and they were yanked. Lynch and the twos, I think it was Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, one first down the entire time they were on the field. Um, And were it not for Royce Freeman's brilliance, I mean, we'd be talking about a complete you-know-what show here. (laughs) you know. And then Kelly finally goes in, and wouldn't you know, it's a spark. And he, that alpha mentality, that energy, comes onto the field. He starts moving the ball. Bill Musgrave uh, calls a hurry up, gets him in a groove really quick, gets him in a rhythm. Broncos drive down and score. He goes three for three, Kelly, on his opening drive passing. The next series, he drives the Broncos down again. As it, now, now, keep in mind, the Broncos were still trailing at this point. Puts yet another touchdown on the board. It was a third down throw under pressure to Philip Lindsay, who showed that burst himself, that speed to get to pay dirt. Broncos take the one-point lead, and all of a sudden it looked like they were going to roar back, take control of this thing late in the game at home. Then Kyle Sloter, not wanting to be outshined by Chad <laughs> Kelly, he drives Minnesota down for six. They convert the two-point. Now Denver trails by a touchdown, and the chips are really down now. This is where we're going to see what's what. Two offensive plays later, Kelly throws that ill-advised pick, and the floodgates really opened from that point for the Vikings. Sloter drives down, great field position, of course, starting from the pick. Scores again himself, stretching for the pylon, extends Minnesota's lead to 14 points. And then all Kelly really had left was about three minutes. Drives down, and the Broncos get to the goal line but run out of time. So if you look at what Kelly did, he had four possessions from the time he entered the game with just under six minutes left to go in the third quarter. Three of those four possessions, he the, the Broncos drove at least 70 yards. And the only one that, of course, they didn't do that was on his interception. Now, all in, he went 14 of 21 for 177 yards, two touchdowns, and that interception. His rating was the, by far the best amongst the three quarterbacks on uh, the Broncos roster at 104.7. So we'll get some of the other third-teamers here in just a, a bit. But we really got to sink our teeth into the Chad Kelly situation because he was a sensation. I mean, we got to couch it in the fact that we understand he was playing against third-team competition. We get that. But when you really consider that it had been over 600 days, according mm-hmm. to him, I think he said 664, yep. since he last played in a real football game. I mean, that really puts things into perspective. And I think... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. For me, anyway, helps me appreciate really what the achievement was. I mean, we're not going to crown him, obviously, but to see him go that long without playing football, that come in and be that kind of a spark and be that productive, it was quite striking. You talk about spark. You saw it in last week's scrimmage with the, the intra-squad scrimmage the Broncos had. The yeah. first and second team offense did absolutely nothing. In comes Chad Kelly. They found the end zone twice. He just brings a natural energy to the game. Uh, my second point about him, and I was extremely impressed by Chad Kelly and his first live action in two years, mm-hmm. uh, that touchdown to Lindsey where he stood in the pocket. He knew facing a pass rush he was going to get crushed, and he sidearmed a laser to Lindsey in stride. Yep. Lindsey did not break stride for one second, and he found his way to the end zone. That was just impressive on so many levels, and it shows you the kind of gunslinging mentality – it shows you the pure passing ability that Kelly has. And the, my third point about him is I don't care that they lost the game. And, and that pick to me, it was a gunslinger making gunslinging errors. Yep. It's a guy who hasn't played in two years and he tried to make a play there. It didn't happen. But I want a quarterback that takes chances. Yep. I don't want a quarterback throwing three-yard slants on third and ten. I want a guy who's going to move the ball, push it down the field. So 
He almost got in the end zone at the end of the game. Uh, the final score doesn't matter to me. There's nothing not to like about Kelly's performance. He had the stadium chanting his name. Yep. I mean, you're talking about a third-string quarterback coming into a preseason game, and the fans are going crazy. Whether that's because he has the pedigree of being Jim Kelly's nephew or the Broncos fans are so desperate for a young quarterback to step up. That's where it uh, is. Yep. Yeah, there is nothing not to like about Chad Kelly. And and he deserves those second-team reps. I'll say it again. No doubt. I don't, I don't know why it doesn't happen yet, but I loved what I saw yesterday. If he, I'll say this, if he does not get second-team reps this week, the Broncos might be facing literally like a mutiny in the fan base. <laughs> There you are. I mean, seriously, like, talk about that piece you published early on Sunday about Paxton Lynch with the the GoFundMe. Yeah, fans have taken their level of Paxton Lynch, the the level of hatred, to such a level, they started a GoFundMe fundraiser (laughs) to cut Paxton Lynch. (laughs) Where do you see that ever happening? And even if it doesn't get any donations, which it hasn't since the last time I I checked that out, it, it just shows you that he is just so hated by this fan base. He's just so despised that they want him out of town. And for Vance not to give Kelly, and he said, we'll see last night. He has to watch the tape. What is there to watch? You were on the sideline. You yeah. saw it happen live in front of you. What is there to see? We know what that means, though. I mean, that means I got to wait to see what John wants me to do. That's hey, Translation is, I, I, it, there's, I think, here's the thing. I think in most uh, coaching, decision-making, playing time, all that, in most situations – Vance Joseph is the final call. But when it comes to the quarterback situation, I honestly believe to give him a you know, take a give him a break a little bit. I, I think his his hands have been tied a little bit. And one way you can tell is reading between the lines and what he's said over the last few weeks. Anytime he talks about Paxton Lynch, it's about how young he is and he just needs more experience and you know, he's been fine. He's completing the ball. I mean, talking about him like he's in kindergarten or something. And then when he talks about Chad <laughs> Kelly, oh, all of a sudden he lights up. He's a playmaker. Blah, blah, blah. Doesn't always look pretty, but he finds a way, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, Zach, that just means that his hands are tied a little bit. There's some politics here he, that are a little bit outside his control. I mean, I guess, but, you know, Elway is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and he's personal he friends with J- Jim Kelly. Yeah, he should know. How do you not see that? It's just yeah. baffling to me. I just – I can't wrap my head around it. Now, one quick tweet I want to bring up is from a fellow by the name of Rob Paul on Twitter. Uh, I don't think he has any uh, official standing, so to speak. Is I, I don't know that, but uh, our friend Nick Kendall, one of the hosts, of course, of Building the Broncos – he retweeted this, and so it caught my attention. But this Rob Paul, his, this was kind of a pessimistic, realist uh, take on, on Chad Kelly from Saturday night. This fellow said, takeaways from Chad Kelly's game last night. Numbers are better than tape, so his, his production was better than what his tape showed, according to this fellow. Dead feet in the pocket needs to be fixed. Trust his arm a ton, maybe too much. Confident passer, not afraid to hit tight windows. Forces too many throws, and then 100% better than Paxton Lynch. <laughs> and then lastly, not an NFL starter. So here's, I, I responded to that on Twitter. I'll let, you know, if you guys are interested, you can go see how, exactly how I responded in the written word. But the one thing I'll say is, again, he might not be right this moment ready to step in and start. And so that brings up questions about what do you do on the backup front. We're going to talk about that in here in just a few minutes. But I don't think – I mean, speaking for myself – I didn't see anything last night from Chad Kelly that made me think he doesn't have the potential to be something in this league. And how that plays out, I don't know. There's still a long road left to hoe for him. I mean, he's got three more preseason games. The Broncos have some personnel decisions to make. they got to put their priorities in order there. But Chad Kelly, again, I remind you guys, hasn't played in a meaningful football game for 664 days. And he goes out and lights the stadium on fire. I mean, there's just some quarterbacks just have it, you know, that moxie, that confidence, that alpha mentality. And not only that, as far as personal individual confidence, but the ability to rally those around him. And their quarterbacks coach, the new guy, Mike Sullivan, he's been telling these guys, look, when you're in the huddle, you have to market yourself in the huddle. You got to sell yourself to your teammates. Why? Because they got to believe in you. That energy has to rub off on them so that they can execute and raise their level of play to the same that yours is at and we saw that from chad kelly and not only that the veteran another veteran move he was making protection calls 
uh, changing things at the line of scrimmage. And then after the game, he had, I mean, yeah, he threw that pick, but he was having his name chanted by the entire stadium, Zach. He completely minimized, downplayed that like he couldn't have cared less about the fans chanting his name. And instead, went out of his way multiple times to credit his offensive line and how good his receivers were. That's veteran stuff. I mean, that's leadership right there. Humble but hostile, to quote Derek Wolf. And about about Chad Kelly, you know, you don't need him to be a starter right now. And he's still developing, and no one says otherwise. He hasn't played two years. It's his first NFL live action. He came in, threw two touchdowns, passer rating of 104. What more do you want to see? You can critique him, and you can, you know, hem and haul over his perceived shortcomings, but you don't need him to be a starter. And he's already better than Paxton Lynch in his first game compared to a guy in his third year. And to to your point about that it factor, you can't teach that. Mm-mm. You can get the best coaching in the world. You can spend as much time as you want. You cannot teach the it factor, and Kelly has it. So as a third stringer who should be a second stringer, there is nothing not to like about what you saw last night. And I think a lot of the, the negative or the shade that's getting thrown on Chad Kelly from last night, most of it, and I understand it. I mean, everybody's got an opinion, okay? But especially those who are in the analysis game uh, when it comes to football, and especially guys who study the draft and, and spend so much time watching college film and stuff like that, but not necessarily just those guys, even you know the average fan and everybody out there who had anything really, who came away from that experience last night saying, uh, you know, Chad Kelly, whatever. The reason for that is that a lot of them, they, they kind of staked their, they, they planted their flag in the ground however many months ago, maybe it was last year during the draft, okay, saying, Look, Chad Kelly doesn't deserve to be drafted. You know, he's a mess. He's not a good quarterback, blah, blah, blah. He's never going to be anything in the NFL. And then time goes by. He kind of disappears. You know, he's redshirt in his rookie year as he's recovering from those uh, two injuries that he had. And then he comes back and he explodes like that. All of a sudden, some people, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to say you're wrong or it's hard sometimes to give credit where it's due, especially if you have something on the line. And maybe it's just ego, whatever it might be. But there's nothing wrong with just saying, look, the kid exceeded expectations, hats off to him, there might, the Broncos might have something there. Now, whether or not it was good enough for the team to feel confident in him being possibly the backup to Case Keenum for the regular season, that's a topic we're going to get to here in a minute, but that remains to be seen. But give the kid some credit, that's all I'm saying. It seems personal, and I agree with you, that people don't want to admit that they were wrong about him, and they could say, oh, it's just one game, they can downplay it, but it seems personal, and it kind of reminds me of all the negative backlash that Baker Mayfield has got, because he had such off-field problems, and he was this braggadocious guy with an attitude, and Chad Kelly has those same qualities, good and bad, so I just think some people consider him to be unlikable on a personal level. And they, that maybe translates to their professional opinion of him. But um, sure. I think it's, you know, from what you've seen after one game in two years, you yeah. can't hate on it at all. Yeah. you got to be encouraged. And that's really all there is to it. You know, that's that's all there is to it. So um, Zach and I, look, we, we've made no secret about it over the last few months that both of us are more are probably more high on Chad Kelly than the average average guys who cover this team. But so for us, there might be a little bit of confirmation bias involved with what we're saying here. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we can recognize that, but still, I think even for the most objective um, viewer from last night, he exceeded expectations. So the Broncos might have something there long term. Uh, well, it remains to be seen, but we still have a lot to get to, especially with the mailbag flooded with questions this week. But really quick, we got to holler at you about why you need to become a mile high huddle 24-7 sports VIP subscriber because our approach to covering your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, is not just about reporting the news. We pride ourselves on being able to relate to you all the breaking news on the Broncos as it's happening in real time, but we also really like to focus on breaking down the Broncos in depth, and especially now that we've got some real tape, some current tape to review, we're going to be doing all 22 film rooms. There's going to be X's and O's uh, analysis, deep dive player evaluation on these guys. And we save our best and most in-depth content for our VIP subscribers, our premium members. You can become a Mile High Huddle VIP today and get access to 100% of our written analysis and our VIP insider forums, which I referenced earlier in the show, by clicking on the green banner at the top of the website. You click the monthly or the annual option, and you'll be locked in. From there, you get access to everything we produce, which includes any insider info we pick up along the way. Okay, so just remember, we 
work hard to bring you the best Broncos coverage and analysis on the web, we do ask for your support by becoming a VIP subscriber. So pull the trigger. You have our word. You will not be disappointed. All right, so we're running long here, Zach, so we'll mow through these mailbag questions because there's quite a lot of them um, this week, and deservedly so. Coming out of that game, a lot of, a lot of uh, topics on people's minds and the minds of Broncos country. So reminder, though, here, guys, as we peek inside the Mile High mailbag, Zach and I, we are your football priests. We're here to offer that absolution and those answers to your burning Broncos questions. And the first one comes from friend of the show, Mile High Huddle VIP, speaking of it, Jacob Smith. His question, coming out of game one of the preseason, how concerned should we be with the defensive performance? 42 points given up in any game is a concern, Jacob writes. No Von Miller, obviously. That didn't help. But Minnesota had their way with the defense, especially on the ground. So, Zach, how concerned should we be? with the defensive performance? I mean, a little concerned. No Von Miller, no Todd Davis, no Tremaine Brock, no Sua Cravens. Those are pretty, you know, especially Miller, his pretty fairly uh, contributors to this defense. But it's it's not overly concerning. But I will say this, that defense is supposedly Joseph's specialty. And he brought him along, and you know, he hasn't really shown much on defense with his coordinator, Joe Woods. I wasn't happy with the run defense. We said it earlier. That's definitely a concern. I don't know what happened there. A lot of missed tackles, a lot of bad assignments, uh, bad technique. The pass defense, a little leaky, but I'm not willing to uh, you know, make any determinations on this defense. They're still very talented when they put it all together, and I want to see how they respond against a, a lesser competition in the Bears next week. Then I'll, I'll have a little more of a clear head on that, but I'm not overly concerned. It was a little... Uh, a little depressing to watch at times. We Kirk Cousins just marching them down the field. Yeah. But I'm not, you know, pressing the uh, the red button just yet. Yeah. I mean, Jacob, I don't fault you if you are discouraged at at this point from the defensive performance. But again, I want to remind you that in preseason games they do not game plan, so they don't take time studying the opponent's film. They don't look for weaknesses in individual technique or performance. Okay. They're they're not really focused and concerned with matchups. And in that sense, they're not really trying to get the upper hand on the opponent in terms of uh, pre-game uh, scheme and strategy. Really what they're doing is he's calling Joe Woods is calling a defense through the headset. He says, well, here's the play we're going to run, line up, and just do the best you can with what's in front of you. Now, in that sphere, the Broncos failed. I mean, they just did not do well when just asked to line up and play football with no preconceived information and notions other than just general knowledge about the Minnesota Vikings. So that being said, again, to me, Zach, it goes back to the whole uh, intensity thing. Were they prepared to play football? I don't know. I just don't think on an emotional level, from an energy, from a motor perspective, this team just wasn't quite up to task. And I think, though, getting it put on them like that, you'll see them bounce back in week two. So second question here comes from Dion Hicks on Twitter, at Dion L. Hicks, question, if we move on from Paxton, like I think we should, do we go into the season with Kelly as the backup, or should we turn to a veteran backup? Your answer for Dion's app. Here's what I do. I cut or trade Paxton Lynch, bite the bullet. I promote Kelly to second string, and I sign a veteran quarterback like Matt Moore, who would be a steal right now as a third stringer. You have a, a veteran quarterback under center. You have a promising young a quarterback as the backup, and you have an insurance policy as the third stringer. That's what I would do. Some people have suggested that they go into the season with just Keenum and Kelly. I don't like that. As much as I'm high on Kelly, you just can't risk you know, Keenum getting hurt, and then it's Kelly, then no one else left. Then you have Marquette King being the quarterback in an emergency. So I would do that. I would dump Paxson. I would sign a veteran. I'd promote Chad Kelly. And that's, that's I think, is a more well-rounded depth chart. And I think if you do that, it would really buy a lot of respect in the locker room because mm. the Broncos players, and especially the defensive players, they're not stupid. They're perceptive of this. They know that Lynch is, is a albatross at this point. Yep. He's holding them back. And, and them down. I think if they showed some accountability, especially from Joseph, who's a lame duck, it would really uh, you know, galvanize the locker room a little bit. So that's mm. what I would do. Excellent, excellent point. And I can't disagree with what you said. Before last night... Um, you know, I had my doubts. I wrote a piece about why the Broncos shouldn't uh, target Teddy Bridgewater. This was before, of course, the Jets played on Friday. But uh, one of my reasons 
four reasons of not going after Teddy Bridgewater is that, look, you said back in the spring you were confident and comfortable with either Chad Kelly or Paxton Lynch being the backup. You know, what's changed? I don't think there's been enough empirical data that should really have, have been enough to change what you how you felt about the quarterback situation just a few months ago. And now, though, after one preseason game, you see how how Paxton Lynch is simply not an option. So that leaves you – that devolves to Chad Kelly, and then there's nothing. So I've come around on that in that I do at least acknowledge I'm with you on that, that they need to get a backup. Now, does that mean you go out and give up – you know, a really good player or a mid-round pick to acquire a guy like Teddy Bridgewater. I'm not to that point. I'd love to have Teddy Bridgewater. Don't get me wrong. Okay, I have concerns about his knee, but I wouldn't want to take on that $6 million cap hit this year that mm-hmm. he's going to come with. And I also wouldn't want to give up anything for him at this point because he's gone after this year. So he's, he's only under contract for one single season. So I agree with you. Go find someone who's on the street today that you can get in here for the next few weeks and work behind Keenum and Kelly. Vault Kelly to the second team. I like that idea. And this guy's just your fail safe. The veteran's just your fail safe in case things really go sideways. If Keenum were to go down, heaven forbid, give Kelly a shot. And if Kelly doesn't prove to be up to, uh, up to snuff, so to speak, as the backup, he can't carry the water for a game or two or however long it would take for Keenum to return, you've got the veteran fail safe. That's, that's how I would approach it at this point. And maybe that's, for, to some people, maybe that's saying a lot about Chad Kelly, but he's the Broncos quarterback. He's the best Broncos quarterback on the roster, not named Case Keenum. So, and he deserves those second team reps, Zach. And and the thing is with the Broncos, they did it a few years ago. They had uh, Simeon and Lynch and they had Austin Davis as that Mm -hmm. veteran third stringer. So they've already done it. And to your point about Bridgewater, I would like him, but I fully agree with you that I would not give up any compensation when there's, they they just need a placeholder. They just need insurance. And I don't fully trust a guy, even though he looked good, who had a devastating knee injury. I would sign Matt Moore, maybe Derek Anderson, just someone who can come in and learn the offense and give them sort of a failsafe, like you said. All right, so we move on to Amber. Her question is running back standings. Who stays, who goes? Then she also asked about the the quarterbacks, which we already addressed. So the running back standings, we kind of got a a pretty solid dose of everyone except Devontae Booker on Saturday night. And from what we saw – from Devontae, it was kind of more of the same with him just not showing good vision, running into the backs of his blockers. Just, you know what, he's just, to me, he's just a third down fail safe. That's what you want to talk about a fail safe. Devontae Booker is your mm. third down fail safe. You need someone to pass block and you need someone to run a route out of the backfield. That's him. But clearly, Zach, the guy who emerged from the first preseason game as the leader in the clubhouse to become the starter week one has got to be Rose well, Freeman. That's right. Uh, yeah, he had that touchdown. And I've been saying this for a while, that I think Freeman is going to be the early down back, and then Booker will be the third down back. And then whatever carries are left over will go to Henderson and uh, Lindsey or Williams. It's too small of a sample size to, to draw any conclusions from that, but Freeman by far was the best player on the field. He hit that edge really hard, and he's a rich man's version of C.J. Anderson. So I'm uh, very impressed with him. And I think I think he will be the starter sooner than later, but by title, I think Booker could be the starter going into week one. One player who didn't impress me, though, was David Williams. Mm. I didn't really see anything from him that stood out to me. Yep. And, and F- Philip Lindsay showed a lot to me, both on specials and as a pass catcher. So I think his stock is going up, and uh, Henderson didn't really do much either. So uh, Freeman and Lindsay were the two standouts from that game in the backfield. I did like – I'm probably a little more optimistic on how – D'Angelo Henderson played on Saturday night. I liked what he saw. He didn't get as many opportunities uh, to really flex his stuff, but I just like how patient he is and how mm-hmm. he gets lost behind his his big offensive lineman. And you know they ran a couple of stretch plays where he he found a way to squirt through. You know he took his time waiting patiently to see what opened up on the backside and then knifed through. And that's just something we've never seen from Devontae Booker. You've never seen that kind of vision and patience and instinct as a runner. And I don't think, you know, just like with Paxton Lynch, he's three years in. If you're not seeing it now, you're probably never going to see it. But I would say the way it stands now, uh, the way you saw the depth chart unfold on Saturday night is probably the way it remains with uh, at least going into week two with Booker. Well, maybe maybe Freeman leapfrogs him. We'll see on that. But Booker, Freeman, Henderson, Lindsey Forth, and then Dave Williams, who, if it continues in the same vein, is certainly not making the roster and might not even get a practice squad spot. So um, next question, we go to Matthew. 
uh, Slagle, I believe is how it's pronounced on Twitter, M. Slagle O-N-V on Twitter. Question, should we be a tad concerned with the first-team offense? It went nowhere. Product of miscommunication and penalties? Question mark. Your answer for Matthew. A tad concerned, yes. Overly concerned, no. Yeah. It's a lot of new moving parts. Like, we already talked about this at the beginning of the show. A lot of new moving parts. New quarterback. Uh, didn't have his left guard. You know, new wide receivers. New protection. It was very concerning in the sense they couldn't even get a first down, though. Mm. And they had a penalty on offense, on the offensive line. So it's kind of like a, a, a deja vu flashback from last season. You would have liked to see at least, maybe not even point, just move the ball a little bit. Show some rhythm. And they couldn't even go anywhere. But again, the whole Broncos team came out flat. Yep. They had no intensity, no energy. So again, it, it falls on the coaching there. I wouldn't say it was penalties. I wouldn't say it was miscommunication. I would just say it's a lot of new moving parts and uh, a lack of preparedness and just uh, some rust there. They will yeah. get going. I was not expecting to see, you know, the the '07 Patriots off the bat. Sure. Well, and it's not as an excuse, but. We have to also view it through the prism of the fact that they're going against arguably the best defense in the NFL. Great point. You look at that, just like the Broncos, they probably didn't game plan, but they did have the one advantage of having practiced against Case Keenum all of last season. And so, you know, that skews it a little bit, but to be just direct and blunt with you, I wouldn't be concerned. Uh, Your your verbiage was probably the best. Tad concerned, maybe overly concerned on the about the first team offense. Absolutely not. But my message to Vance Joseph is give Case Keenum a little bit more time on the field in game two. So we move on to uh, Zeb on Twitter at Zeb211. Can you break down some of the rookie linebacker play? It was tough for me to follow them as I haven't learned their numbers quick enough to know. Uh, let me let me take this one because I saw this tweet early on in the day and then I. Upon my second viewing of the game, I paid a lot more attention specifically to Josie Jewell and later on Keyshawn Bieria. But I'll say this, Josie Jewell, most of his plays were really good, where you saw his uh, excellent instinct in that motor and his direct path to the ball. He's not a player. Cecil Lammy talks about this a lot, and I heard him say it a long time ago. And I, when I watch film of Josie Jewell, I kind of look at it this way now, which is he doesn't waste a lot of time, a lot of missteps before taking his angle to the ball. And his angles, more often than not, are the correct angles. Now, his first game as a Bronco, as, an, as a pro, it was not perfect by any stretch. But as a run defender, he was on. In pass coverage... I would say he was about 50-50. In actual open routes where he was covering a, a, a tight end or a back out of the uh, backfield, in an actual route, I would say he was good. But that 85-yard touchdown from Rock Thomas, if you go back and watch that, Josie Jewell, who had done a good job not getting washed out by offensive linemen up to this point, just got mauled uh, by one of the Vikings guys and just pushed to the outside, which created a he was his instinct was right he he flowed to the right point of the field where the ball was going he saw it unfold so his instinct and his recognition was right but he just either took the wrong angle or was not quick enough to react once he engaged uh you know he wasn't able to to stack and shed so to speak to get off of that lineman and make the tackle and then as far as Keyshawn Bier but still with with Jewel much more encouraging than discouraging it was a great first game but for him too he's he's shaken off a lot of rust because he started off uh, pretty much inactive the first few days of training camp, so he's still building that momentum. Um, and then Keyshawn Bieri, I'll say this, he looked a little bit more out of his element. He's a guy doing cleanup duty on third team. So, But there were a couple plays. I do like his instinct. I like his intensity. I think long-term, not this year, long-term I think he could have the type of third-down uh, coverage linebacker impact that Corey Nelson eventually had. Uh, with the Broncos. But right now, Zach, I don't think we can really expect Keyshawn Bieria to make this team. No, you hit the nail on the head with the inside backers. Jewel, a lot more positives than negatives. And the Broncos drafted him for his pass covering ability. And you saw some of it on display last night. He also put his nose in, you know, in the hole and made a couple stops there. I was impressed with him. And like you said, uh, he was injured and he kind of fell behind the eight ball. But once he gets going and he gets some seasoning to him, he's going to be a really good player. And he's already drawn praise from his coaches, from his teammates like Von Miller. So you, you nailed it on the inside linebackers. Bieria, another pick I wasn't thrilled about. I feel like they could have gone elsewhere with that because they already drafted Jewel. Right. Um, but it was more encouraging than discouraging. But I want to talk about the outside linebackers. 
and we already touched on this, but Jeff Holland, Marcus Rush, two really, really impressive performances, especially Holland, mm-hmm. who has sneaky bend off the edge. Yep. Is he Von Miller? No, but this was a guy who was kind of a sack master at Auburn. He had a mid-round grade, and the Broncos signed him as an undrafted free agent. And in a very, very stacked outside linebacking core, I would go so far as to say last night that he looked better than Shaq Bear. Mm-hmm. He just he had more production and he put more on tape than him. So in terms of the rookie linebackers, you you nailed it with the inside backers. But outside, Rush and Holland really really impressed me, and I hope they can keep five on the roster because Holland deserves a spot in the fifty three. Yep, just remains to be seen what kind of a real opportunity Marcus Rush has. If he can parlay the next three games, you know, I should say if he can parlay this last performance in game one into the next three games, the Broncos will have a hard time choosing between him and Jeff Holland. Of course, that would uh, be if Jeff Holland also continues to play well. So, yeah, I think uh, the youth the Broncos have, if you know, if they're worried at all, it's just the fact that they're so young and inexperienced in many ways as far as their depth. But you got to like what you saw so far from those, those both the outside backers and the off-ball linebackers. But they, they got three more games to work out some of those kinks and really show what they're worth. All right, last question here. Chef M, we've touched on this already, uh, but Chef's a, a great friend of the show and a solid reader at Mile High Huddle. His question, 42 points on my mind. What do you make of Joe Woods? Should we, there's another thing. Should we be worried about Joe Woods now? I mean, he ended that sentence with an, an ellipsis, and I'll say that to finish that sentence is I don't know about him yet. I just I feel like him and Vance Joseph, their background is is defensive, the secondary, and mm-hmm. they got picked apart last year a little bit, and you saw it last night. So they're not really playing up to snuff. And I'm not gonna lie, and I think most fans would agree that they replaced Wade Phillips with Joe Woods, and that was a major, major downgrade there. Yep. So. You know how you say Joseph is a puppet of Elway? I think Woods is a puppet of Vance Joseph. And it's he's kind of just that that figurehead. And I haven't really seen much that impresses me. His his blitz packages aren't that creative. Uh, the secondary struggled last night. The run defense was leaky. I'm not going to jump to conclusions or overreact, but he needs to show a little more that he could be a coordinator at this level in yeah. – charge of and responsible for a very, very talented defense that boasts Hall of Fame players and all pro players. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing for for Joe Woods, and I talked about this a lot last year, you've even heard him, Joe Woods himself, talk about this in several of his remarks this offseason. But there's a big difference from jumping from being a secondary coach where you're mostly teaching. I mean, you're, you're contributing to the scheme, you're contributing to the game plan, but you're mostly leading and teaching and coaching. There's a big difference from being there and jumping to scheme and play caller. Game plan, scheme, play calling. And there's a there's an instinct that kicks in, and one of the th- reasons Wade Phillips is as great as he is is nobody is, and with the exception of maybe Bill Belichick, but nobody as defensive coordinator in this, in this league is as instinctual and just knows the right call to – you know, the play to call in the right moment as Wade Phillips. And so you got a guy like Joe Woods. He's a young coach. He's very inexperienced as a play caller. Last year was his first and only year as a defensive coordinator. And again, that's where you're seeing him have to make up a lot of ground. His players love him. I know that. So I don't think he has a problem rallying the troops. I think he has the love and respect of his room. But can he cut the mustard on game day in terms of calling the right plays in the right moments? Yesterday, I mean, jury's still out. You can't really take yesterday in terms of answering that question. You can't use it as a piece to the puzzle because he didn't even game plan. He was just going against, you know, here's what personnel they have on the field. All right, here's my call. He wasn't really pushing the envelope, so to speak. So for me, Joe Woods, the jury's still out. He still gets a pass. Yeah, the jury's that's a good way to put it. The jury is still out on him, and he's only been the coordinator for going on his second season, but his fate is tied to Vance now. If Vance gets fired, he's not going to be brought back. And he was kind of lucky to be retained last year when they replaced their offensive coordinator, replaced their special, te- replaced their special teams coordinator. The only mainstay was Woods. And, again, I think he's a, a figurehead for Joseph who has a, a big hand in the defense also. So this one game, I, I'm not going to determine his fate and I'm not going to jump to any conclusions, but I want to see what happens in the regular season. They got to shore up that secondary. They got to fix the run defense from last night. They can't have those extend into the regular season. Uh, so we'll see what happens with them. So at a team level, it wasn't good last night. Obviously, you lose 42-28 even 
uh, in the preseason, the opener at home. It's not good. No one wants to, to lose at home in your opening game, whether it's preseason or not. But on an individual level, there are many positives to take away. And I think for now, Broncos country, that's what you got to hang your hat on and just try not to get caught up in the knee-jerk on the big-picture stuff. But for now, hey, listen, we're going to come back at you here soon. You know we will. We'll be uh, serving up the gut reaction episode after the Bears game. So, But that's all the time we got for today. You can find my partners at Kelberman on Twitter, at Kelberman247, and myself, at Chad and Jensen. Make sure you're subscribing, you guys, no matter where you're listening to the show, because this season is going to be a doozy. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 